you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, well, good morning. Uh, my name is Micah. Zach says, my joy to serve as one of the pastors here at City on Hill, Brisbane. Uh, we're going to be kicking off this brand new series this morning. We'll be looking at Joshua chapter 1. Uh, we just read the first half of it. Keep your Bibles open if you have them. If you don't have one, love to, to give you one. Come see the guys at the info desk afterwards. But hey, let's pray. Let's ask God for his help uh, as we look at his word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you that you speak through it. We do thank you that uh, this morning we have an opportunity uh, to, again, hear you speak and be reminded of your cosmic plan of salvation. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd be with me. Help me to be clear, faithful, and helpful. I pray that you would stir in our hearts to make us more like your son, Jesus. And we pray this for your glory. Amen. Well, hands up who's watched the Netflix drama, Designated Survivor. A few of us, only a few. Well, I won't spoil too much. But as the title suggests, this all happens in the first episode. Uh, it's Washington, D.C. There's a terrorism attack, and the White House gets exploded. And so the president, the vice president, the cabinet, kind of the whole parliament, they, they die. And yet there's this one man, Tom Kirkman, uh, this kind of random congressman. He, he gets appointed as a designated survivor. He's off-site in a secure location. It's kind of just a bit of a dead-end job for someone they're just kind of trying to keep out of the room, basically. But as it turns out, he's, he's, he has to step up to this appointed, to this important task. He, in response to all the leaders of America dying, he is now in charge. He is now the president. 
And as we start this new series today, Joshua is a little bit like a designated survivor. See, a whole generation of people, of leaders, including Moses, have been wiped out. Their situation for Israel is a mess. God's people, previously they'd been in slavery under an evil dictator pharaoh and baby boys were being chucked in the river. There was labor camps, people working, um, being whipped, being have to work forced labor um, under oppression. And then finally they were freed under, under God, but under the, the, the leadership of Moses towards the promised land. There was hope and yet their hope was dashed quickly. They were on a journey that should have taken uh, but a few weeks. I've got a slide up here of a bit of a map, but the weeks kind of rolled on from months to years as they moved from Egypt towards the promised land. In fact, 40 years had passed and they were meant to be there in just a few weeks. God's people were still wandering in the wilderness. They were grumbling. They had this sort of fake nostalgia, how about things were better back in Egypt, even complaining that back then we had cucumbers. Yeah, but you're also under slavery. Um, They were fighting each other, worshipping created things rather than the creator. And even Moses, the great leader, he had failed them. In fact, it was because of his rebellion, Moses, that he wasn't allowed into the promised land. They said the whole generation of Moses could not make it in. There was chaos. And so the questions, no doubt, that would have been asked, Is God trustworthy? Is he good? Is he in control? Who will be our leader now? Will we ever get to this promised land? And how do we deal with this mess? And the questions asked back in Joshua's day are surprisingly relevant for us as well. And the big thing that I want us to see this morning, uh, if you fall asleep, just take this home, this, that God has a plan. Amen. God has a plan. You can face any mess, any situation in life because God has a plan. This is good news, church. And we're going to see three things about his plan this morning. God lives and God gives. God lives with his people. God gives us his word and God gives us rest. At Cedar on a Hill, typically we spend a good chunk of the year looking through the Old Testament, in particular a book of the Bible, the Old Testament. We just we work through it. The Old Testament's written before Jesus, pointing towards for him. And over the next nine weeks, we'll be looking at this book of Joshua. Now, there's a couple of cliffs, a couple of dangers that you can fall off when you look at the Old Testament. Uh, one is to kind of jump quickly straight to us. Uh, to take things you know, out of context, take things that actually weren't written directly for us and apply them. Uh, that there's promises there that, that seem attractive, even uh, as we read this morning uh, in, you know, the, 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 in Joshua, to be strong, courageous, we'll talk about that in a moment, we need to be careful how we apply that to us. We can't just name it and claim it. But the other cliff that we can fall off as well is sometimes we get so caught up in the detail and we sort of forget of the bigger picture that actually the whole Bible is all about Jesus and now we're living on the other side of the cross and the resurrection. And so the promises have been partially fulfilled, but in Jesus there is so much more to the story. There is so much more on offer for us. So what do we do? Well, here's a little hack that my Old Testament lecturer, Doug Green, taught me. We need to read the Old Testament twice. We need to read the Old Testament twice. What do you mean by that? Well, we need to read it and understand it firstly in light of its original audience. 
What was God saying to the original hearers? What did it mean for them? We can't just stay there. We need to also take a step back. And how does this fit in light of Jesus? How does this fit in terms of God's big cosmic salvation plan? How do we apply it for us in light of God's bigger story? So first, let's get into the heads and the hearts of the people in Joshua's day. Let's set the scene. And perhaps the three of the most important verses in the whole Bible, um, I'll, I'll get up in a second, but this is God's promise to Abraham. If we understand these three verses, they're sort of like a, a hook that the rest of the Old Testament kind of hangs upon. You know, if, you, if you're into puzzles, it's like the corner piece. You know, once you get the corner piece, you can sort of start to figure out uh, the rest. Or if you're like me, maybe just stay at the corners and give up, um, especially if it's more than you know, about 20 pieces. Anyway, um, but um, let me read these verses, right? Uh, from from uh, God's promise to Abraham, chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, that was his name before Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you and I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth will be blessed. See, God, he promises Abraham this land, this land of Canaan, which is later often described as this land flowing with milk and honey. But more than that, the people of God were to live in this land, and that would be a light, that would be a blessing to the whole world. See, this is God's, God's big plan, that, that his people will be able to tell people how good and how great that he is. This idea of land, it's so important for the people of the Old Testament. In fact, in Joshua alone, the, the, this word land comes up 87 times. The, the promised land, it's their, it's their hope for them. It's where they can finally settle down after 40 years of, of camping, of the gypsy lifestyle. Now they can sort of get their kids into schools, start businesses, that kind of stuff, plant roots. Because they've been wandering, they've been nomads, they've been homeless. So keep Joshua open in front of you. Let's read the very first verse. Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. They're homeless, and now their leader is dead. Moses, remember him? He's the one that God had been speaking to time and time again. The one that God used to part the Red Sea, to, to, to let, his people, let God's people go out of Egypt. Remember, he went up to Mount Sinai. God gave him the Ten Commandments. The one who, when God's people were crying out, were thirsty, he hit the rock and water came out. He wasn't the miracle worker, but he was the one that God used. That, the one that was God's prophet, God's leader. He was kind of a big deal. But with his death and the death of the other leaders of that generation, things continue to be a mess. People are tired. They're hungry. They're grumbling. They're restless. They're looking for answers, looking for purpose, looking for something to cling on to. Will we ever get to the promised land? Who will take us there? But God has a plan. Come with me to verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I have promised Moses. 
Joshua, the, the designated survivor, he'd been trained up to take this role. He was Moses' right-hand man. He was like his apprentice. You know, in fact, he'd had mountaintop moments. He'd actually been up uh, to Mount Sinai with Moses. He'd also been in the trenches, uh, winning military battles against the enemies for Israel. In Numbers 14, when Moses sends 12 spies to check out the Promised Land, to suss out Canaan, uh, 10 of them, they freak out of how big the Canaanites are. And if, you, if you've uh, ever seen or ever used to play footy, like when you're kind of 12, 13, 14, kind of kids kind of grow at different sizes. And I uh, remember as a kid, you know, there's the team where you're 13 and they've all got beards and, you know, everyone's, <laughs> and you're little boys, you're kind of freaking out. The handshake, you sort of know the battle is lost then. That's sort of what they're feeling like. And yet Joshua and Caleb, they're like, no, no, God's got this. The land is good. We trust God. This will work out well. Joshua is a man that God had been preparing for this role. So God reminds Joshua of the promises that he's already made to Israel, to Moses, that I'll give you this land. Keep reading. Verse, verse 4. This is what the land will look like from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Again, we, we see this land. The map should pop up on there. This this massive bit of land uh, just up north, that was going to be theirs. But there was a problem. The land uh, it was occupied by the Canaanites. The Canaanites that appear big, strong, intimidating. Uh, they were rebelling against God. They hated the way that, that God wanted um, Israel to live. So let's keep reading. What's God's plan? Verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. He says, be strong, be courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. In this chapter, God says to Joshua three times, these words to, to make a point uh, when there's repetition in the Bible, it's because uh, God's trying to tell him something, God's trying to say a message. This is important. Why should Joshua be strong and courageous? Because God is with him, God has given him his favor, his blessing, his plans. So it should give Joshua confidence to then go. It means that, you know, with God on his side, he's on the winning team. Remember, uh, years ago, uh, I used to dabble a bit in first-person shooter games years ago, um, and, and occasionally I'd find a cheat you know, called God Mode, uh, which basically meant that you couldn't die. You could kind of cruise around the level, get shot at, fall in lava, whatever, and you just couldn't die. And so it's kind of a hack just to kind of figure out how to, how to finish it off, and sometimes even though with God Mode on, I still couldn't finish it. But anyway, this is like what Joshua has. He's got God Mode on. God is on his side. He cannot fail. He, he, can, he will defeat the Canaanites. He'll claim the land because the God of the universe is on his side. God has a plan and his promises can be trusted. We're going to see uh, three important truths about God's plan and how they apply to us. Firstly, God lives with his people. The promised land is a place of peace where God would dwell with his people. 
meant to be this place of rest, or this word in Hebrew, shalom, a blessing, where God's people can rule under God, God's people can live under God's rule, in prosperity, in health, where God's favor would be upon them, where God's promises that we've read about in Genesis 12 will be lived out, where they could settle down and be a light to the world. And this is why this commissioning moment for Joshua is so critical, as the land is so central to the purposes of God. But what does this have to do with us? Well, how do we read this in light of God's bigger purposes and story? Well, 1,400 years later, another commissioning moment occurs, a passing on of the baton from one great leader, not to another man, but to the church. The people of God were, and continue to this day, face an even more daunting task than Joshua and the Canaanites. Uh, If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. These are the last words that Jesus gives to his disciples, as recorded in the book of Matthew. Now, Jesus, he had risen from the dead. Uh, He'd spent 40 days uh, alive, um, and he'd witnessed, and he'd done a bunch of miracles and taught some things. But these are the words, the parting words, that he wants to leave, leave his disciples. And there's 11 of them. We heard about this last week. Judas, he, he had betrayed Jesus. He wasn't there, part of the crew. But Jesus says to the 11, he said, he came to them and said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is God. In verse 18, he's got the authority of God. He's speaking to these leaders to go and make disciples of all nations, to teach people about me, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Baptize them. And when they become a follower of Jesus, they're to continue. That's what a disciple is. That's what a follower of Jesus is. A follower of Jesus is someone who's part of that great commission. It's a huge, formidable task, but it's possible and it is being accomplished because God is with us. The disciples, the church, we are actually called to, to conquer the world. To conquer the world. Not with the sword, not with, with violence or hate or judgmentalism, no, no, with the gospel of grace, of peace to share the love of Christ and the word of Christ with a hostile and sometimes apathetic world. Men, women and children over the centuries have have been persecuted, risked their lives and even lost their lives in this battle. But the personal presence of Jesus, he is with his people. He's inside the hearts of everyone who is a follower of Jesus. If you're a Christian, this is you. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. We can be strong and courageous. Not to to suit our own desires, to fulfill our own life goals or ambitions, but we can be strong and courageous as part of God's mission. You have been commissioned into his task of making disciples. That's a huge task. That's an all-of-life mission. It's more than just passing on a pithy saying. It's more than you know, street evangelism or trying to awkwardly turn the conversation at work to spiritual things. No, it's about orientating your whole life towards this mission of seeing more people know Jesus and, and people know Jesus even more, to make Jesus known. 
But, but it's something that we don't do by ourselves. We have God's Holy Spirit, His personal presence there with us. We have the church, we have brothers and sisters, an army together being part of His mission. Joshua had the personal presence of God. But it was different. It was far more limited to what we have. You know, the, the tabernacle, the tent that was kind of moving around the camp. Uh, God would hover. God would speak to Joshua. But we've got it even better. Do you believe that? We have it even better than Joshua. You know, we struggle to believe that sometimes. We sort of think, oh, if only God would speak in the audible, booming voice, you know, then my faith would be unlocked. But we actually do have it better because God's presence is permanently dwelling in our hearts. Our hearts are like little temples, tabernacles filled with His presence. Because back then, back before Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, um, God could take that away from people. God could stop dwelling, and He did often stop dwelling with His people. But for us, as Jesus has promised us, He will always be with us to the very end of the age, till He returns or calls us home. Peter says, sorry, Paul says in Ephesians 1 that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The writer of Hebrews uh, chapter 13, verse 5 says this, that he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? God is with us. Who else do we need to fear? Yeah, there'll be twists and turns, there'll be ups and downs, there'll be, there'll be pains and pleasures of life, but we can face it all knowing that God is with us. God has a plan, He lives with us, but secondly, God gives us His Word. In what sense is God with us? How, how do we know this? I mean, how, what does it feel like? Uh, is it a force? Is it a vibe? We have God's Holy Spirit living inside of us, but the way that God continues to authoritatively speak to us is through His Word. Now check out again, uh, back in Joshua. Turn back with me to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do to all the law that, Mo that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not... Turn from it, from it to the right. Sorry, do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Now Joshua, these people are facing this daunting task of going to the unknown land and to kind of set up, reset up a society. Uh, but but for Joshua and and the people of God, the word of God was so crucial to that. God had shown them through Moses, through the law, which is the first five books of the Bible, the, the Torah. Uh, or the Pentateuch, if you want a fancy name. Uh, this, is what, this is what obedience looks like. Uh, the Ten Commandments, they're, they're a summary of the law. They're a summary of what God requires, what God asks for His people. But if you want an even shorter summary, um, Jesus gives it, love God and love others. That's ultimately what God wants. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is just the book before, uh, Moses says in a sermon, Now hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You know, God gives his people over 600 laws. You know, a lot of them make sense. You know, don't murder, don't steal. Some of them are a little bit weird. You know, don't cook a, a goat in its mother's milk. So you know, change your lunch plans, Asavo. Um, 
But, um, but, but essentially, what, what God is after is a relationship with his people. He wants people to be devoted to him, uh, not chasing after the things of this world, falling after other gods, sleeping around, uh, seeking des- desires and satisfactions from the thing that the world offers us. But God, he reminds Joshua, back in yeah, chapter 1, verse 8, he says this, the, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do to all so you be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. God calls Joshua to read, to, to, to learn, to understand, to meditate, and to even teach the word of God. God's given the law to Moses, but he continues to speak to Joshua through it and to us today. And he says to Joshua, if you obey, you'll prosper. The reason why uh, they haven't prospered to this point, the reason why it took 40 years instead of a few weeks, is because of their lack of obedience. The writer of Hebrews, again, uh, in chapter 3, uh, verse 18, they said it was because of their rebellious hearts that led to their sin. That's why God didn't let them into the promised land. He says this, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And he goes one step further in 3.19, so that we see that that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Ultimately, that's what sin is. Unbelief, that God is good, that his word is trustworthy, that his promises are sure, that he really knows best for us. That's why we sin, because we, we doubt that. I'm reading a book at the moment called Gospel Fluency by a guy called Jeff Vanderstel. He's got this great chapter, and he says, everyone is an unbeliever. Everyone is an unbeliever. Yeah, got people that aren't following Jesus, they don't believe in the gospel. But those who are, uh, there, there are times in life where, when we don't believe, uh, when, when we, we fall into sin and temptation. He says this, he says, when I say we're all unbelievers, I mean we still have places in our lives we don't believe God, where we don't believe God. There are spaces where we don't trust his word and don't believe what he accomplished in Jesus Christ is enough to deal with our past or what we're facing in this moment or the next. When we're tempted, we so often we choose the easy option. You know, we want to enjoy the pleasures of this life because we believe that they will offer satisfaction. You know, we know that God says, you know, don't look there, don't scroll there, don't spend your money there, don't date that person. But it, but it feels good. And we get affirmation from it. We, 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 we think, oh, look, it's a bit of harmless fun, or like, really, God's a bit of a party pooper. And then there's, there's moments of guilt uh, when we know we've done the wrong thing. And how do we respond? Well, we feel like we need to atone for our sins, and we say, okay, I've stuffed up, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure I'm at church for the next month. I'm going to come to gospel community. I'm actually going to you know, pick up that Bible reading plan that I said that I gave up a couple of months ago. We somehow believe that you know, if we do these things, if we give a bit of money, if we serve on that roster, then you know, God will be you know, a little bit less angry with us. No, no. Jesus has paid it all. The last moments before he died on the cross, it is finished. There's nothing that you can do to contribute to your salvation. It's already been done. You're already, if you follow Jesus, if you trust in him, you are already like his child. He sees you spotless, blameless. The cross is enough. We don't have to do our bit extra. 
But we need to keep going back to the Word because our hearts, they're fickle and forgetful. Back in Joshua 1, uh, God says uh, that he'll make, he'll make Joshua's way prosperous if he, if he obeys and he'll have good success. And you know, this is one of these tricky verses because uh, we can take it out of context and just quickly apply it to ourselves. We need to read this carefully in light of God's story, in light of Jesus. This isn't directly written to us. We're not camping in the Middle East for the last 40 years. That's not us, right? Um, we're not about to kind of invade an enemy so we can call somewhere home. God doesn't say to us, to, to Christians in the New Testament era, that if we obey God's promises, he'll continually bless us materially. And we can't just say, God, I've worked hard, you know, like you owe me. Now, again, that's unbelief in the gospel. God says, you and I have disobeyed, and yet I still love you. You're still welcome. You're still part of the family. But we obey in response to what God has already done. God's law, it is good. He knows what's best for us. And if we do what he tells us to do, it will generally work out for our good. Though sometimes we kind of can't see the bigger picture. But the Christian life, it's about following Jesus, which includes living as he did, which includes suffering, includes persecution, includes things not going our way. At the end of uh, chapter 1, Joshua preaches to the tribes of the east, telling them about God's plans. And listen to how the people respond in verse 16. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words... Whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. It's pretty optimistic. You know, we're going to do whatever you tell us to do, as we, all, as we already have done. You know, just as we obeyed Moses, we'll, you know, maybe there's some sarcasm there. Um, let's stay tuned to see how they go with obedience. But I think you know, sometimes uh, we, we hear a sermon, we hear a talk, we, we read the Bible and we feel challenged. And uh, particularly, you know, around you know, engaging with God's Word and reading the Bible. And I think we can respond sometimes in two ways. One, we're overconfident. I'm like, yeah, 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 I've got this. You know, I'm doing well. Uh, my Christian life, it's strong. And so I'm going to keep going in my own strength. But the other, the other kind of cliff we fall off is we wallow in our own guilt. Uh, we feel beat up, maybe a bit paralyzed. And we kind of just stay there. And forgetting that actually God is with us, that he's equipped us, that his presence is there, he's given us his word, he's given us his community, and he wants to help us. And so we need to keep going back to his word to be reminded of the grace. Not because you have to, but because you get to. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to read a Bible in a year plan. You don't have to read your Bible every single day. You don't have to read your Bible to your kids. But we get to. The God of the universe is with you and he is continuing to speak to you through his word. Church, do you believe that? Not just in here and not just even out loud, as the Eastern tribe said, but do you genuinely believe that something incredible is going on when you encounter his word? God has a plan. He lives with us. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. He gives us his word and finally... God gives us rest. 
for the people of Israel, this rest, this promise to go to the land. It was a place where they could finally take a deep breath and settle. Check out what Joshua says to these tribes in verse 13. Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they shall also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. As we've seen, the land, it's more than just you know, a title, a plot, a block of dirt. It's where their lives, their purpose have been orientating towards not even just for them individually, but as, as a society, as a people group. This was their goal. This was their salvation. The land of Canaan would be their place of peace, living with God's blessing. However, spoiler alert, uh, not just for Joshua, but the whole Old Testament, disobedience. It leads to judgment, and it doesn't end up being this perfect place of peace under God's rule. It was only a partial rest, a partial fulfillment. A shadow, really, of what is to come. Listen to again what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 8. He says this, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So for us, because of Jesus, there is a greater rest a greater promised land. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. In Jesus, we we now get to partially experience that, now in a greater way than Joshua did. But we also know how the story will end. We have the full counsel of the word of God. We know what's coming. We have received the promises and the blessings that God has given us, but we, we haven't realized them. We haven't tangibly felt and experienced them. The rest is like a now, but not yet. As I invite the band up, let me close with the last chapter of the Bible. This is a picture of this rest. This is a picture of the salvation that God has promised each one of us. This is what is to come. Uh, this is the, is the hope that we have as Christians. Check out Revelation chapter two, chapter 22, uh, verse 1. It's the vision given, uh, given to Jesus' best friend, or one of his best friends, John, uh, about what is to come. And he says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will, they will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. 
Church, there's so much in there. I could preach another sermon on those verses, which I won't. But this is where our home is, in heaven, with God as our light on the throne. Church, let's live each day in light of this eternal rest that God has promised us. Not putting our trust, our efforts, our treasure in here, in Brisbane, in 2023, in the next kind of 30, 40, whatever, how many years God gives you. There's so much more that God has in store for us. Friends, we can, we can face the mess and the uncertainty of life because God has a plan. You know, it's an epic, eternal plan where Jesus came to restore humanity to her creator. Jesus, the Son of God, has come. He's intervened. He's changed the course of history. He now dwells with you. He now speaks to you. And in his word, he is giving you rest. Church, let's stand. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you that you have and continue to speak through it. Lord, we do thank you that through the uncertainty, through the mess of life, that you have promised that you will be there with us. Thank you, Jesus, that you came into the world and took on the mess, that took on the pain, took on the brokenness of this life. When we come to you, you can empathize with our burdens and our struggles. Lord, thank you that in Jesus we have life, we have hope, that we don't have to cling like the world does to the here and now, but there's so much more to come. Lord, I pray that this week we lift our eyes, our gaze to eternal things. Would you help us as a community do that together until you return or call us home in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.